Hello and welcome at Logistics Conversations, the podcast of the Cluster for Logistics Luxembourg. Through this podcast, you will discover the international world of our sector. Even better, you will hear passionate people and their exciting small and important stories. Logistics is essential in Luxembourg and we want you to have a look behind the scene. Today, we are very happy to have Ram Menen on our podcast, Logistics Conversations, to discuss the theme of air freight and innovation in what is probably one of the worst times for belly freight in history. Very welcome, Ram. Thank you very much, Malik. Thanks for having me here. Let me describe uh, Ram Menen to our audience. You began your career in aviation in 1976 at Kuwait Airways. You later moved to British Airways to head its cargo operations in Kuwait. And then in 1984, you joined the Kuwaiti Aviation Group to set up and manage its air freight forwarding unit in Dubai. Then, Ram, you are one of the original founding team of Emirates Airline. And a few years ago, we had the opportunity to talk about that, that the cluster for logistics That's, I think, where I met you. And you had it later, its cargo division, from October 1985 to 2013, when you retired. And uh, I think around 2012, 2013, it became the largest international cargo You are a Luxembourg national. You have a son who is uh, in your footsteps in air freight. And you live in Luxembourg, but uh, sometimes you spend also time in Kuala Lumpur and in Dubai. Is that a, for a fair description? Um, it, it is, um, but uh, Luxembourg is home. Uh, Luxembourg the others is home. are all vacation homes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, you have an engineering background and you were instrumental in developing something which is called the LD36 unit load device, which is used in air freight. And uh, when you developed that one, it uh, allowed to increase the lower deck pallet by 33%. And full air, airplanes is what we all need and want to have, particularly these days where air freight is something which is very rare and expensive. You have helped to develop cool dollies, extensively used at some airports today to maintain integrity of the, the, the cool chain, like today the vaccine. On the ramp in hot climate, you are a founding member of the International Air Cargo Association, TIACA, where you served as vice president in 1993 and 1994, and as president and chairman in 95 and 96. And I think you were probably at that time also heavily involved in the IATA, the Association of the uh, Transport uh, and uh, Aviation Industry, where you chaired the cargo committee for four years from 2008 to 2012. An extensive career, and uh, now you live in Luxembourg during these days in winter. We record this at the Chamber of Commerce in March 2021. Do you miss Dubai and are you looking forward to go back to Dubai 2021 in autumn? Well, it's a question of missing. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm a global person, so home is where the roof is. <laughs> I'm perfectly comfortable in Luxembourg as I was in Dubai or anywhere else. Um, yes, I will definitely be visiting the Dubai 2020, well, 
to about 2021-ish. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. We wanted to talk technology and innovation today uh, in air freight. Uh, and we know that's one of your passion. That's why we invited you on this podcast, the uh, logistics conversation. What role do you expect innovation to play in air freight uh, in the future? Well, the innovation um, in air freight, I mean, you have to take it in two uh, different segments. One is the operational segment. The other one is the generic uh, uh, air, air, the digitization in air freight, which has been quite slow. Uh, but there has been very, a lot of advantages in the operational area, especially the warehousing, etc., where the use of robotics and artificial, uh, artificial intelligence is um, quite prevalent. Um, now, of course, they are also um, implementing the augmented reality, which goes to help. Um, even in the operational area, there are two different segments. One is the air freight segment, which is the airport segment. The other one is the logistics warehouse segments. And you, you'll find that there is more uh, use of technology in the logistics warehousing rather than the airport. Airport facilities are basically just a processing area, uh, land side and um, air side operation where you take the cargo in and you just uh, put them on the airplane. Um, the kind of sorting the, the to the pace level, etc., that happens more in the facilitation centers. And that's where you see um, the uh, advancement of robotic technology. In the air freight side, uh, the airport side, you see more of augmented reality type of um, technology coming in and um, assisting the human um, resources to process the cargo. Probably when you visited uh, airports, uh, you try to uh, across the world, you try to have a look at their operations uh, to to learn from that. Was that possible? I do, I do. In fact, I mean, it's not just looking at the the warehouses, etc. I mean, I wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm, I'm constantly vigilant as to what's going on and uh, and learn from that because in life you never stop learning. And a part of it is, um, if you are in the air freight business, it's very important that you actually look at other areas of business so that that is what actually triggers your uh, innovative, creative juices within yourself to apply those into the business that you are in. Okay. I think it's, it's quite interesting for our audience, for our listeners to, uh, um, to listen and to, to understand how they started. So if we go back to 1984, when you joined the Alganim and Qtube shipping agency at Kuwait to create an air freight forwarding division, can you tell us how this started? Yeah, it, it was actually, it was a brief uh, interlude uh, between my aviation career. Um, I joined the, the Alghani Malkatub shipping agencies in their aviation group, uh, and I was posted to Dubai to set up their uh, air freights out of it. Alghani Malkatub uh, shipping agencies, they were very um, upcoming, uh, very fast-growing uh, shipping agency at that, uh, that uh, period. It was an offshoot of the United uh, Arab Shipping and they had gotten into, um, uh, they wanted to get into the aviation side of it. So um, I came to Dubai at that stage, and uh, that's where, I mean, I started Maltrans. 
uh, under the banner of Maltrans, and uh, that um, was mostly freight forwarding. And we had a network, so it was just a question of plugging in the air side of the business there. And um, uh, once it, it was a crash course uh, on the other side of um, the air cargo business. It was not just air cargo. I mean, uh, as a forwarder, we dealt with shipping and road transportation and everything. So that's why I mean, I say that it was a crash course uh, for me. I mean, uh, that was a, uh, one a great learning point in time, uh, which I was able to then uh, apply as uh, I came back into the aviation. Um, so um, once I did that, um, I. Um, I probably uh, missed the smell of the uh, kerosene. <laughs> the attraction of the, uh, uh, the smell of the kerosene is what was actually pulling me back into the aviation side of it. And that's when they announced that they, they were going to start um, uh, Emirates in okay. Dubai. I went up there and uh, as they say, rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history, yeah. Yeah, can you can you tell us uh, somewhere it was the ruler's um, inspiration to say let's have an aviation group? Um, can can you say something about that? Uh, how 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 actually somebody decided to to want to have an aviation? Yeah, it's a long story on how Emirates started. Basically, the the airline was created in a few months um, uh, because of certain things which were happening uh, to. Dubai. Dubai was a free skies, um, uh, uh, free seas, free trade um, uh, country, and a certain airline wanted uh, them to close um, uh, the free skies and uh, let them leverage Dubai's popularity, even at that stage, to um, uh, to negotiate um, aeropolitical uh, market accesses, mm -hmm. which Dubai refused to do it. Uh, to cut a long story short, they decided to start their own airline, and that's how uh, Emirates was um, uh, came up. And I was very fortunate to get in there at the ground floor and part of the the, the uh, foundation, uh, the, the founders' uh, founding team. Okay, and it started with uh, leasing airplanes. Yeah, we we, we started well. Uh, <laughs> Emirates was started with a ten million dollar uh, uh, invest investment and with that you couldn't buy an airplane or not even an engine so uh, it was getting a question of getting creative and the first two airplanes um, were leased from uh, PIA um, and that's how we started and we were supposed to start with nine or ten um, uh, destinations to start with but a um, few days before we kicked off our uh, access rights were withdrawn from the entire of the GCC, Gulf Air ownership, and plus Kuwait and uh, Saudi Arabia. I so we were left okay. with just three destinations and two airplanes, and that's how we started. And uh, the first six months of operation, we actually turned up a, an operating uh, profit. Okay. And the destinations were? Uh, the destinations, the startup destinations were Karachi, Bombay, and Delhi. Okay. Okay. Right. Mumbai, as they call Mumbai, it now. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so you are quite early uh, in this. Um, then um, I've been to Dubai, but not very frequently. But I know how hot it can be. I think um, you frequently measure in summer over 50 degrees. Uh, so you developed a unit load device in what we know as a very conservative industry. So how 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 did this work? Well, it, it, it was a 
all a question of looking at what's needed, what did we have. I mean, in fact, I would say that uh, Emirates was the catalyst in developing Dubai as a leisure and uh, trading hub. Um, it, it's a very nice relationship between an airline and the, uh, the city itself, purely because Emirates started out as a catalyst in the 90s. The roles changed. Dubai was the catalyst in um, uh, catalyzing um, Emirates, the travel. And then later on, in uh, around the 2008-2009, the roles reversed again. Uh, um, Emirates recatalyzed the growth of uh, the Dubai itself. And uh, when I say Dubai, I mean the entire of UAE benefited from uh, what we were doing. Um, and it was a question of then being creative because we were a, a, a born in an environment we had, where we had no protection. A, this was all about operating in a free skies. We had absolutely no um, negotiating power with uh, other countries based on Dubai uh, as our home base um, uh, for the access rights. How many how many inhabitants had Dubai at that time? What do you believe? We, we, I think at that time it was around 400,000. Okay. Dubai itself. And, 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 and now? UAE was approximately a million. Okay. Uh-huh. Of course, now it's gone uh, about ten times uh, right. larger. Uh-huh. So basically, it's uh, I think uh, it's I, w- I would call it it's the, 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 the you learn to transform oil into logistics and leisure industry. Well, let me go back uh, a bit. Uh, Dubai was had oil, but it was never really dependent on oil. Ah, okay. Historically, Dubai was um, trading hub. Mm-hmm. And um, what we added there on top of that was the the leisure element of that. Uh, All these airlines, they were all stopping in Dubai, uh, uh, going from west to east for fueling. And they had uh, open rights, but they never really did to uh, promote Dubai as a, a leisure place. We had one of the best beaches in the world, and we had about eight months of great weather, Okay, four months were uh, a bit uncomfortable, but later on we also found out that the, even the uncomfortable period, um, that people were attracted towards that. Okay, that's the heat. So, you mean? Yeah. So on heat. one side, we we were promoting the tourism side of it. The other side, we were promoting the the air air trade part of it. Trade was all, already. Um, uh, Centuries old um, trade because of the because of the the, the port uh, because, the, it's, because of the port. it's one of the major ports it, in the world. Uh. It was part of the port and the freedom to operate. Okay, um, you know without any uh, limitations apart from uh, they were they were uh, very sensitive to any smuggling or uh, a, a, any kind of illegal activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from that, the actual trade in itself they encouraged that. It was a trading port um, between uh, in the initial days between India and Africa and the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern country itself, uh, countries itself. So, and then when we came in and started the airline, the airline, we realized, mm-hmm. looking at the geography, the geocentricity of the city, we were virtually uh, in the center of the landmass. 
it's a that, that um, if you spread the map then you can actually see that it's virtually in the center of east west as well as north south it's it's today one of the places where a lot of people put their uh, representatives for the full region correct they, they do as they a do. large company corporations oh they they started doing that uh, a couple of decades back yeah as we started promoting it and they 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 also realized lifestyle mm-hmm. was uh, extremely good and part of the thing that emirates also catalyzed was the lifestyle okay because yeah. it's very very important that when you when you have a trading hub it's just not business because you need to have make it attractive for the people to do business yeah. and we had all the right ingredients there mm-hmm. So it was all we did was we just brought them all together and presented it to the world. How do you remember the last figures of Emirates how many passengers did Emirates transport uh, last year across the world or about a year let's say 2019? I cannot give you the numbers at this point upon time because uh, it's more than 100 million. Pardon me? It's more than 100 million. It would probably be in the 60s. 60s. Okay. Um, it would be wrong for me to uh, oh. give you a number at this stage because no, I, I'm not it's large, so familiar with that. It's very large. large. Yeah. I mean, on the cargo side, when, uh, when we started, I mean, uh, the airport was doing about 150,000 uh, tons okay. a year. Uh, when I left, we were doing um, in excess of 3 million. 3 million tons. Yeah, wow. okay. yeah almost uh, 2.5 to 3 yeah. million tons. I yeah. mean, so it's, it's there as one of the largest um, uh, mm. Airports in the world. Yeah, probably three percent of the global air freight. Because I remember that Luxembourg makes about one percent, or more than one percent, with a million tons. Uh, when I left in 2013, we were doing um, just Emirates yeah. was uh, doing about seven percent. We had a seven percent market okay. share. Wow. Okay. So it was uh, quite substantial. So it's a question of yeah. what, what, what I'm trying to get yeah. at. We had the right ingredients. We had the right vision from the rulers yep. who gave us the freedom mm-hmm. to create and implement. And we also realized the potential that was there purely because initially when we started, we were looking at the Indian subcontinent, that, that area. We had a two, uh, 2.2 million um, uh, people, people, a population around Dubai that we could serve and as we grew and as we have started having um, uh, airplanes which are capable of doing longer hauls we realized we had virtually about five to six billion people that we could service in okay. 14 hours to 18 hours range and uh, so it, it was a question of creating a one stop to anywhere from anywhere mm-hmm. And that strategy sort of worked. So we created this mega hub, both on the cargo side of the business and the passenger side of the business. Uh, Dubai was also a sea airport. So uh, uh, conversion was very, very quick. We uh, we could convert from this uh, ocean, uh, from a ship to the uh, airplane flying out in five to six hours. Yeah, I remember that when in in my business time, people were talking about, uh, for example, products from India being 
import it via the port and export it uh, through the airport like mangas products which wouldn't survive uh, the, the the three weeks or uh, from India by boat. And it was were, not just mangoes. And it yeah. was not just India. It, it was from Far East. From Far East. So typically from Shanghai or Taipei to um, a, to the warehouse in Europe mm-hmm. was 16 to 17 days. So what we were offering was an alternative because there was a lot of capacity. Um, Gulf, during those times, it was a major import center. So there was a lot of cargo coming in. There was a lot of, not much going out. Uh, So there was plenty of capacity. Okay. So that provided uh, a way because uh, during those days, uh, capacity out of the Far East into Europe and other places were um, in short supply. But then um, as the the science of the supply chain started developing and you and also um, your production was based on need mm-hmm. um, pull based supply chain rather than push based supply chain on the in the olden days because of the advancement of the technology etc uh, anything produced today was obsolete in 3 to 4 months time okay so you had a very short time and so what you do is the first bit uh, first inventory goes by air. Okay. The second goes by uh, sea air. The third goes by total sea. Yeah. So we, what uh, people started using transportation as inventory holding. All right. Okay. So you're not holding an inventory on land. So yeah. that immediately started giving cost efficiency, uh, bringing in the cost efficiency in the supply chain management. So this was all a part of that. Okay, and we just went in there and we just exploited that, and uh, you know, how how important was the ruler, the family, uh, in this type of vision, or did they inspire? Did they uh, propose activities, or did they just bring people together who had those good ideas? They they were instrumental in uh, uh, what happened to Emirates and Dubai and UAE um, as a whole. Um, it was their vision, and they, um, you know, um, the ruler, uh, the current ru- ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed, was always, he said, um, you build them b- uh, big, they will come. Okay. And uh, he was absolutely right. Um, we did uh, scale up. We were not shy yeah. to um, Take risk. Uh, think big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, and I see it, here, I see it in various parts of the world. They they have um, uh, they do the extrapolation uh, uh, of um, you know, what um, uh, the past was, and try to forecast the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas what we did was we knew what has happened in the past, but we were not going to let the past dictate what's going to happen in so the future. You were going for step change, and we let the future dictate what happens now. Okay. So we also knew once you catalyze growth, uh, if you don't have uh, facilities that can handle uh, the growth, you go into a negative growth. Okay. So, I mean, like I always say, I mean, you know, if you open the floodgates, you better be ready to handle the 
the mass of the water that comes in. <laughs> so that is the same analogy that we actually used in business. And for us, it was all, all about creating scale. Yeah. And you create economies of scale, and you then bring down your unit cost. Okay. And that you, that's what gives you then uh, the bottom line that you need. At the same time, you let the customers benefit from the economies of scale. Now, going back to the economy of scale, it was cheaper for an African buyer to buy the, the commodities in Dubai rather than buying it from uh, China or Asia. wherever it was being manufactured because of, of the volumes uh, that they had, uh, the small volumes that they had. Dubai had the economies of scale, okay. and they let these buyers benefit from the economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So for them, it was a win-win situation, and Dubai just grew, exploded in growth. Economy scale is interesting. I was quite happy to make my first trip to Dubai on a Airbus A380 on the largest uh, plane you can walk in and uh, very comfortable uh, not a lot of noise inside, and so that was my my first trip to Dubai. I also remember, as you mentioned, that um, that w that at that time when I was there, they were waiting for water to be drawn from the sea in into the city, uh, like there were channels or canals being prepared, which I didn't see later, but I think later they were exposed, uh, expected to be open so that there was more water uh, visible in Dubai. Dubai Creek, which went quite a few kilometers into the uh, city, that was probably the heart. It still is um, the heart of trade because that's where all the Dao uh, traffic comes in and goes out. A lot of the stuff that comes by uh, ocean liners and air actually goes out uh, through these, uh, on these um, Dao's, as they call it, to Africa and um, Persia, uh, Persia and Indian subcontinent. So that was always the nerve center. So what they did was they actually continued on, uh, continued uh, dredging uh, the creek and all the way back into the, uh, to the sea. Yeah. So they actually created an island. Yeah, yeah pro probably some people will have the first opportunity to visit that now that in October, Dubai 2020 will start as a world uh, exhibition. Can you advertise a little bit? Can you tell people what they will, what people who have never been to Dubai, what they will see there, and, and when is a good time to go? Well, Dubai, uh, the best times to go in, in du uh, to Dubai is uh, November till about end of May. Okay. Um, out of these um, months, probably. December, January, February, and even March is probably the best time, the, the most gorgeous weather okay. you can ever find. Um, great beaches, great leisure activities, and since the last 10 years, 12 years, there has been so much of investment that's gone in into um, uh, the, uh, the, the various activities, uh, the lifestyle activities yeah. um, is huge. Fantastic hotels. I've been on the 75, I think it was 355 meter in the bar. <laughs> you know, it's, huh. I was there when it was a village. Yeah. Um, and we helped uh, it to grow to what it is today. And But even now, having lived there for almost 30 years, more than 30 years, uh, 
when I go back there, when I look at what's happening there, my jaw still drops. Okay, so you still see a lot of changes. It is amazing. It is just an amazing place. And what they have done is uh, they have let their imagination go free and they let the other's imagination go free. Mm. And um, uh, all of, uh, and they attracted uh, FDI. Um, the, the key, the start point was the airline and the Jabal Ali Free Trade Zone. Okay, yeah. These were the initial two major initiatives that actually got the entire of the uh, Dubai's um, development grow. Uh, there must also have been difficult time in your in your business period. Uh, anything you want to mention which was more difficult? The last recession? Oh, there have been several. I mean, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> Well, it started with the Gulf War. I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about post Emirates, uh, yeah. uh, or rather, when yeah. Emirates started. Uh, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two. You know, then we had the 9/11. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the SARS in the Far East. Right. And but most of it all, and I would probably put that thing as the mother of all challenges, was the 2008, 2009. Um, Uh, the economic the crisis yeah. that uh, the world went through, and um, um, our side of the business, I mean, the logistics side of the business, was probably the hard, hardest hit uh, in all this. Um, and it, it, you learn, and uh, we we also know that those were not the first time, and those are not going to be the last time. Uh, but the biggest challenge, I guess, the, the world has ever dealt with in the recent history has got to be this pandemic. Yeah, that's great. And, um, and every time you go through this, it you learn. Mm. But every new challenge that comes up, they are basically different in characteristics. But what it gives you, the past pandemics, it toughens you. You... You have to adapt. Did uh, is is Emirates? Um, uh, it is Dubai learning from the first from the SARS epidemic when it treats the COVID uh, epidemic today. SARS was um, um, was a major. Uh, it had a major impact, but it had more impact in the Far East mm-hmm. than uh, on um, the rest of the world. Yes, there was um, an impact, but not to the effect of what it is today. Okay. So, um, it, it, but then again, I mean, you know, all, all these um, uh, epi- epidemics or pandemics, they also breed innovation. If you actually look what the SARS did to the air cargo industry, and it was the birth, or rather the boost to the e-commerce, okay. that's where the likes of the uh, Amazons and the likes of Alibaba They really flourished. And you can see the same thing has happened during this pandemic. It's given it a further boost. Correct. A lot of people who never have used e-commerce will, will have done it in the, the last 12 exactly. months. Now. And those who adapt to any kind of challenges like this early on are the ones who are more successful mm-hmm. than the others. And those who cry about the spilt milk and stay that way are the ones who actually lose out. 
How do you see how do you see Amazon as a as a former big uh, three, big four air freight companies in the world? How do you see uh, the, the fact that Amazon is also investing into air freight and trying to have its own control of its air freight? I guess it was a natural transition for them, evolutionary transition for them. Um, they they have now their own fleet, but they are all subcontracted. But to fly with others, I mean, uh, in the U.S. they have Atlas and the ATSG providing them the lift. In uh, Europe, they have ASL providing the lift. So it's it's a question of for them to be in control of their own capacity and not depend on uh, others. And I I would probably say that uh, it, it is also a result of the industry not keeping pace with what their requirements are mm. and getting a little bit arrogant about the capacity that they were providing. So at some stage, I mean, um, you know, okay. people like Amazon, um, Alibaba at this point in time has taken a completely a different track. Um, so um, they've gone into controlling their own lift. Yeah. But right. at the It's same time, they also subcontract a lot of their lift. It's also economy of scale. It, which we talk it, about. it's creating the economies of scale that they they they, they need it um, I think the way uh, the best way of putting it is creating the connectivity yeah mm -hmm. and as they produce uh, come out with these um, new um, the, their own uh, new products like the prime and everything else uh, Amazon I think probably, has done what FedEx did and the UPS yeah. did in back in the 70s and the 80s and they the the Amazon brought in a, a different dimension um, which was uh, IT based platform um, making it easier for people to shop yeah and to enter and what they also early on realized That without logistics, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So they created the seamless two-door, mm -hmm. whereas the traditional airline industry was still working on uh, airport to airport. The FedExes and the UPSs, DHLs, they came in and they added the uh, two-door uh, dimension, but they were more business to business. Mm -hmm. I must say that uh, not later than two, three days ago, I wanted to add uh, to buy a filter for a meal, a washing machine or a dryer, and um, you you would wonder they didn't so they didn't ship to Luxembourg. So still these days, you find even well-known brands who do not supply outside of their origin, and so that's obviously encouraging. Uh, how do you see freight in this industry? Are, are they are we lagging? Is the industry lagging behind? Or do you see it encouraging? Uh, 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 so going more digital on freight. I'm very vocal about it. Uh, we conceived or started the e freight in 2004. Let's uh, say for the listeners what e freight means: um, no paper. Huh? E freight is basically taking the paper out of um, uh, the yep. air freight transaction, um, and uh, it, it has been, still been very slow. I mean. From all these years, I mean, we have just we are still under 80% penetration rate. 
Whereas uh, when I was uh, with um, on, on the IATA cargo committee, and we had actually said that we wanted to take the paper out by 2015, and we were doing pretty well at that stage. Mm. Uh, don't know what happened later on; it just slowed down. Um, and uh, it, it needs to improve. And I think this pandemic is going to give it a shot in the arm, because right now. What this has, the, the positives that these pandemics are bringing in, a uh, pandemic is bringing in is uh, digitization. Mm-hmm. I mean, today, I mean, people, it, it's allowed people to also work from home. Working from home from working from home has become a part of living, and it will be a part of living as we go f- forward. And uh, I always say that I, I do SFH which is socializing from home. <laughs> that's a dimension that's come in. Okay. So uh, going back to the air freight side of it, yes, they have to digitize. And if you don't digitize, you don't exist in you the have, post-pandemic. Yeah, yeah, you have been a very uh, global citizen, uh, so you must be suffering the last 12 months not seeing people physically face-to-face, or are you compensating by Zooming and uh, Teamsing? Two answers to this. One is, I'm quite happy not to get on an airplane, okay. purely because I had so much of transportation. I mean, I was on a plane at least three times a week, I mean, during my working days. Yeah. Um, but what I miss is going to warmer places or yeah. visiting our uh, other homes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do miss that. But overall, um, yeah, physical contact is something that uh, you do miss. But you compensate. I mean, you 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 like socializing from home. And what I have realized is that in the past, I socialized with the people in the place that I am. And today, I can actually socialize with everybody around the world. So we are more connected today than what we were in the past. Correct. So these are all positive things, and that we have, we have to build on. And what we are actually seeing is acceleration of evolution in lifestyles and yeah, this is going to stay and this is going to have i mean it, right now the 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 biggest thing that one has to have uh the quality is adaptability yeah ready to be adapt to change, yeah. uh, innovate and move forward yeah Before I come uh, to another question on innovation, uh, you just used the, the term a shot in the arm. Uh, I know that Emirates uh, have moved ahead on the vaccination program. I don't know where they are exactly, but I realized that every United, whether it's United uh, Kingdom, United States or United Emirates, are ahead of Luxembourg when it comes to vaccination. Yes, and yes, indeed. They, they have got their supply chain right. Correct. Yeah, then, more uh, than anything else. Um, yeah, UAE is just behind Israel mm. in uh, the number of people that they have uh, vaccinated. Uh, I think they, uh, if I'm right, I mean, they, they are almost uh, just True. over 60% yeah. of the mm. whole entire population of UAE have been um, uh, pop, uh, vaccinated. Yeah. So it's a question of another 10-15% and mm. they have the herd immunity mm. uh, setting in. Yeah. Uh, Europe, unfortunately, has uh, lagged behind. Uh, time will tell yep. as yep. they analyze what really went wrong. Correct. But uh, then you see um, countries now breaking away like Italy and um, uh, Czech and Hungary. 
they, they started doing their own things. Um, but I guess it's the initial teething problem. And once they get their supplies right, and uh, they have just um, uh, um, approved the uh, Johnson & Johnson, so you've got now four um, uh, different vaccines mm -hmm. available here, whereas places like Dubai, they have more. Yeah. They have the Chinese and the Russian. Correct, they've been open to ones the world. Open to them. Yeah. Mm. So they have better supply yeah. than what you have here. Yeah, I think we will touch on this uh, podcast, Logistics Conversation. Uh, the number four uh, is with uh, a young guy called Sergei Palamara, and he talks about procurement and supply chain. And we see that a lot of people realize how much more they have to bring supply chain and procurement together to make it efficient for also governmental and administrations, which usually corporations are ahead by combining procurement and supply chain already? Um, when I look at procurement and supply chain, they are two sides of the same co uh, coin, because without procurement, supply chain doesn't exist. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you, you, you can talk about merging it, but it's already part of the same same process. Yeah. That's um, something where e which e-commerce accelerates because you already have the supply in mind be when you create the contact between the customer and uh, and the product itself. Yeah. Procure procurement, now we have put a label onto the old buying, Correct. term buying as procurement. So it, it was always, uh, because of that buying, everything happened logistics and uh, within the logistics transportation so um when you when you say i mean that uh, they are trying to merge i say it was it's all already a part of it the is, same it is yeah equation what, <laughs> yeah what what's what's accelerating we see the university of luxembourg has created a chair for digital procurement so the side of uh, helping having more automated and robots support and artificial intelligence will probably even accelerate uh, the procurement side. That is different. Mm -hmm. uh, digitizing procurement. I mean, procurement is already there. Yeah. So they have gone ahead and tried to digitize that and make it more efficient. And smarter. Yeah. And um, the advantage of um, digitization is that you bring in speed into the equation. Uh, you bring in forecast, huh? time yeah. into the equation. Uh, time is the fourth di uh, dimension. What we have seen in the last 30, uh, 30 years or so is that time as an integral part of the other three uh, dimension. You can actually see um, uh, the effects of that when time is a part of the three other dimension, everything becomes variable. So that's why we call it four zero. It's because we add time to the, the other three, three dimensions. Exactly. And if you see, if, if I want to bring that into uh, the procurement and uh, supply chain, it is the inventory holding that shows the actual effect of the time. Today, you don't hold inventory. Mm. You create inventory when it's required. So it's, that's a very, very, it's variable. Mm. It's more on pull basis. Mm. Correct. And when it's, uh, it's produced, it has got to get into the uh, where it has to be in a very, very short time. So that's where the air cargo actually benefits 
from um, the entire yep. the new evolution uh, evolution the f rate uh, 2020 will probably uh, 2021 will probably be one of the best uh, because of capacity not being awa- enough available from the belly uh, air freight side under the, under the passengers feet uh. it would come up i mean it's great to see that uh, today's uh, air cargo figures the volumes have actually surpassed the same period, the pre-pandemic period. Right. So what it shows that uh, the air freight in its the industry in itself has adapted. Um, the loss of belly air freight, they have been compensated by uh, operating passenger, passenger airplanes as freighters, freighters as they call it, mm-hmm. uh, with the seats out. So um, the capacity has there has been compensation of capacity. What is going to happen is as passengers uh, come back, that capacity actually could reduce. Yep. So there's a huge um, movement in converting uh, passenger airplanes into freighters. Into freighters. Mm-hmm. So there is a rush. And as we go into the future, of course, I mean we are also looking at a new generation of airplanes. Let's uh, talk about that. Up. Let's look about that uh, because uh, obviously uh, Cargolux is uh, here in Luxembourg is using a lot of those 747. I mean, even the Dash 8 is, is getting old and there's no other plane behind. If, if you would uh, meet Elon Musk, uh, who is known to be uh, also passionate for technology and big challenges, what would you encourage him? Where would you encourage him to invest? Uh, a person like uh, Elon Musk, I would probably say space logistics because he's already i mean uh, with yeah. the spacex program they're already i mean taking on cargo in the space into the space stations mm-hmm. uh, that is one area is the, which is the future but you back up into today and today's reality the innovations uh, actually come from uh, being able to uh, reduce the cost of transportation and um, what, what, uh, his uh, in concepts of the hyperloop um, type of um, transportation it's also has got a yeah. very very high speed evolutionary changing yeah. high speed transport in in a in a in a conduit in a exactly mm-hmm. at the same time um, there are um, projects like Natulus. Um, I'm actually an advisor. That's, that's to a drone. That I wanted group. to ask you about drones because you, you, I think when you retired, you said I only do what I like as a passion. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm, I'm very passionate about airplanes, and I have been involved um, uh, in development of some of the uh, existing airplanes, uh, very closely uh, associated with them. Uh, but in this particular case, it was a question of I mean, we were always looking for a flying truck. I Part of the challenge that we, we have always had on an airplane is the contours, where you cannot maximize your uh, space utilization. Because it's cylindric. And we always wanted uh, something with, you know, like in a truck, you have yep. boxes, I mean, boxes. where you can uh, optimize the loading. And uh, Natalus project, which is actually uh, building the, uh, the next generation of unmanned uh, freighters and when, when we talk about drones 
what comes to your mind is quadcopters yeah. and the last mile delivery things. These are going to be commercial um, airplanes which will ply the same routes as the existing um, airplanes of today, like the 747s and um, uh, 767, 777. So the, these are going to be unmanned and uh, they are going to be a lot more cost effective um, in, in terms of operation because, I mean, uh, new generation um, uh, concepts in uh, the technology uh, coming into the, uh, into the fold, uh, fuel efficiency, and of course, uh, this is a subject on its own that we can actually talk about sustainable fuel, etc. Um, but the, 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 what they bring into the next generation, because at the moment when you look in the, uh, into the cargo industry, and you mentioned the 747s at some stage are going to be retired. The other airplanes which are going to uh, go forward is 777. That's probably the best viable airplane in that 100 tons plus category. It's 50% this, out of composite. It's very, it's lighter than others. So. It, yeah, uh, there is composite in there, uh, but it's still a traditional okay. uh, airplane. What Natalis is building, it's going to be a mix of everything and the more advanced material being used, lighter airplane, and the airplane itself, it's going to be a blended wing technology. So that actually reduces the drag and you know, okay. has benefits on the fuel burn, etc. And they're already looking at uh, almost 40% um, uh, lower cost of uh, transportation per 40%. freight ton kilometer, uh, which is huge. This is a project which um, uh, I think is going to redefine how uh, a cargo is transported in, in the future. People would say, argue that um, because of this pandemic and the impact that they have had um, on uh, airlines and the redundancies in the pilot community, that there will be excess amount of pilots available as we go forward. My view is that no, we will still feel pilot shortages and my reasoning is this. A lot of the pilots made redundant. I would reckon almost 40 to 50% of them will not come back to flying. Okay. They will probably retire or uh, go else. into some other business. At the moment, because of the pandemic and the effect on the uh, pilot industry, new pilots are not, uh, it's going Coming to slow in. down. Yes. Mm -hmm. So eventually the end result by 20, 2027, 2028, you are going to find mm. a pilot shortages. A part of the Natalis, um, the unmanned, uh, is also that you can actually utilize those airplanes um, uh, a lot more than the existing airplanes, purely because you don't have the crew, so you're not limited by flight time uh, limitations. Okay. So that mm -hmm. speeds up. Um, the airplane is going to be put into the market where it can use the existing uh, airport infrastructure and, uh, and warehouse uh, uh, structures, everything. Where is this physically, the Natilus project uh, being done, developed? Uh, it, it's being uh, done in San, uh, San Francisco in at California. the moment mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to go into a prototype build this year. Okay. 
and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have the, there, there are going to be a few versions of it. The first version is going to be a 3.8 uh, payload um, uh, airplane. 3.8 ton. Mm -hmm. The other one, uh, the next one is going to be a 60 ton. Okay. The third one is going to be a 100 ton. That's a so when that sort of comes in and by, by the end of the decade, yeah. it gives you an alternative and it also gives you um, a newer generation, more cost-effective And more sustainable than also um, versus the climate vehicle. change. Yeah. Um, yes, there will be competition from the uh, likes of the converted, low-cost uh, 767s, etc. But as we go on in, into the future, you, you got to also realize that there is a, a move to uh, be more green, so sustainable fuel, um, hydrogen as a uh, hydrogen fuel cells is being looked at. Yep. You have various uh, different kinds of uh, bio uh, fuel being uh, uh, brought in. So these older generation airplane are going to have challenges from the people's uh, mindset because they won't want more uh, green uh, equipment in green in everything that they do yep. so that we can uh, uh, contribute towards you um, know deterioration of climate well, where do you see those automated drones fly fly first do well, you, the, do you the think first one, Middle, East, the, Middle East will no. again play a role as a catalyst here uh, more than Middle East uh, the, the initial ones the, the, the 3.8, which is going to be regional. Mm -hmm. So these are going to play a larger role on places where you have more domestic okay, uh, requirement because these are going to be short range, connecting cities, connecting uh, towns. Uh, the 60 tons and the 100 tons would then operate on the same kind of um, uh, uh, flight operation, uh, flight routes like the existing airplane. Like so where it's going to be deployed, international routes, uh, Far East, from Far East into uh, Europe, into United States, South America, Africa, um, they, they, they are all going to be um, uh, a target uh, route for routes for them. The initial ones are going to be more China, United States, Africa, large regions, mm. large yeah. regions where Regional they have more domestic flights. requirements mm. or small um, uh, sector requirement. So that gives them flexibility. Interesting story on that one. Yeah. So and it's also, yeah. I mean, uh, what we have done is um, uh, this airplane is going to be more e-commerce friendly. And the way I see it, the traditional cargo, the growth in traditional cargo is going to be in the low single digits, whereas uh, the e-commerce is going to continue to develop in about 15, uh, 20 to 30 percent range in the foreseeable future. Um, the e-commerce has traditionally been more domestic than Correct. intercontinental, and they are now going to go more transborder. And this is where, I mean, people like, we talked about Amazons and the, uh, uh, Alibaba. They brought in a different dimension to um, the supply chain operation. Um, there are two elements that you need to look at. The, uh, and I put them into um, a B to B to C category. Usually it was B to C or B to B. But now you have B to B, 
B2B2BC. And the B2B is their inventory holding movements, the Amazon and um, uh, Alibaba's and various other e-commerce. Uh, they, they, this is coming from uh, the uh, manufacturer to the facilitation centers or retailers to the facilitation center. And then you have the other element that goes from facilitation center to the last mile, to the customer. So you have the B2B to C. I see you have uh, encouraging innovation for the future of the air freight. Uh, and they will also cover sustainability because I think you mentioned that you don't expect those automated vehicles to fly very uh, high speed. Oh, they, they will they, they will speed uh, fly at the same speed at uh, okay so that speed will be we, 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 uh, the big ones I mean we are looking at uh, flying they, they're going to be turbo jets uh, uh, turbo fans uh, okay uh, so they're going to be flying at about uh, uh, 0.84 Mach like um, okay. any other airplanes today because okay. once you are in an international route yeah uh, you, you have to fly at the same kind of speed that the normal airplanes right. fly yeah. otherwise you create a traffic jam up there okay yeah. So it's only in another shape which we'll see in the sky then. Yeah, it, it, it would be. And it, it, also the range. Another range, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, this is uh, a very interesting story. We come to an end uh, because uh, I could uh, talk for very long further time with you, Ram. Um, one last question we always ask everybody who has been in the supply chain or the logistics is, Yeah, we always expect people to be very organized uh, in this industry. How are they on their in their private life? How are you? How do you feel yourself being in your private life? Are you a very organized person, or do you take the freedom to be uh, less organized these days? Uh, even going back to the business itself, I like a little bit of chaos. Because it's uh, and I always call it an organized chaos, chaos. Um, because it puts you in a mindset where you can deal with, you can adapt to changes very quickly. Okay. If you are just fully organized, everything goes as per plan. Uh, you stop being innovative. You, you think that's going at the price is creativity in that case. Yeah, uh, a bit of an organized chaos keeps you on your toe. And it allows you to react faster. Um, I mean, I, I always say, I mean, uh, I, I, I believe in Murphy's Law and Sort's Law. Okay. Okay. I mean, those who don't believe in Murphy's Law and Sort's Law, when some things go wrong, wrong it they cannot wrong. react All right. quickly okay. enough. And let me fa- uh, put it this way. There are, you know, there's no perfect situation. Things will go wrong. Uh, and also, when you are in an uh, evolutionary cycle, uh, accelerated evo- evolutionary cycle, everything is changing very, very quickly because of the time as the fourth dimension. So you need to have a little bit of that uh, in your mindset um, that allows you to be on your toes and be able to uh, react and also uh, anticipate changes. Um, and, and that's very, very important because the on, uh, only way you can uh, um, be innovative and creative and be successful mm. is you got to anticipate the change a little bit before the change actually happens. Uh, and you cannot, may, uh, you know, you cannot change the world, but you can influence the change. And your 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 customer's business is constantly changing. And if you are not able to change 
a little bit before that change actually happens, you cannot actually cater to uh, what their actual requirements are. You don't just give them your standard enough. portfolio. You don't listen. You customize customer. your ad value. To me, uh, a customer is like a magic eye painting. Okay. Um, the painting, the image that you see is not the real image. The, ima the real image is behind. Uh, if you're familiar with the magic eye painting, are you seeing the real image? You, you have uh, big footsteps for your son put uh, in your career. Is that also type of advice you give, uh, you give uh, your son? Um, no. When it comes I to don't. customers, because I think he's in a company where customer is also very important and always first. Yeah, he, he, he is. I mean, uh, I, I don't just want him to step into my shoes. No. I want to, him to create his own shoes. And uh, his shoes are going to be very different because he's living in a different era than what I have lived. I'm, the, I'm, I'm part of the generation which uh, uh, has gone from abacus to semi-automation to automation yeah. and now into artificial intelligence. And today's generation is going from automation to automation. And the future generation, even the millennials, are going to struggle a little bit as we struggle from the uh, old thinking, uh, old-fashioned thinking, to adapt uh, because today everything is going from artificial intelligence to artificial intelligence. So you cannot, the shoes that we have had in the past is not the shoes that you want somebody to walk into. I like that one. I like that comment, uh, Ram, and it is a pleasure to have uh, you on the podcast. We have to come to an end. Uh, this was a logistics conversation with Ram Menen, former uh, vice president, uh, senior vice president from Emirates Cargo, and still very much into innovation in air freight. We hope to see you again when uh, to talk about uh, the future uh, innovation in air freight. Thank you, Malik. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. And I, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Thank you very much. And I'm pretty sure some listeners will also like uh, your approach. Thank you very much for having you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Logistics Conversation. You can find our podcast and interview on SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course our webpage www.c4l.lu. Thank you.